This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Hey everyone, how are you doing today? This is the interview. This is the one that I mentioned in the daily financial news this morning. Super secret uh, investor mania 2.0. This is going to be a conversation you're going to want to listen to a couple of times. So let's welcome Rick Policio to the show. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Michael, how are you? Thanks for having me. It's been since December since we last spoke. Yeah, we, we had our first conversation in December. We talked about single family homes. We were, we were talking about core logic and where you were and where I was on, on appreciation. And I, I, I went back, I was right. I was kind of the top of the three, right? I was here, you were here. And then core logic was like really stupid at like 6% or something. Um, was, that, was that you forecasting um, full year 2020? Yeah. Yeah, I was at twelve percent. So I was even I was light. It came in at like fourteen point six or something. I know it's funny. I was just answering some client emails before I jumped on this, asking about our home price appreciation forecast because we're we're still pretty bullish. I think more bullish than most people. Um, mm-hmm. So so glad to see there's another bull out there on home prices. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, hey, what I want to talk about this conversation is a report that you put out under the perfect title: Investor Mania 2.0. I thought that was like nailed the sentiment. It talked about it. And there's so many different sections, but why don't you just talk about, talk about the report, how it came together. And then I really want to break it down because there's a lot in it. Yeah, no, no, I appreciate. And I appreciate you printing out the paper. It was about 45 pages or so, I think. And the, so this, this, the subtitle of the paper, so it's Investor Mania 2.0. I've got it up on my screen over here. So I'm just going to read the subtitle how data technology and yield chasing are revolutionizing housing while raising risk levels. So that's, mm-hmm. that's definitely a mouthful, but it's, it's interesting because we actually had this paper teed up, ready to go for the most part, all the way back to March of 2020. Yeah. And I mean, I was, I was, we were about <laughs> to hit send on it. Yeah. And, and so then obviously the world changed and you know, we said, okay, there's gonna, there's bigger fish to fry here. We're gonna have to focus on some other things. But the the gist really of the paper, even back then, was we're seeing a flood of investors come to the market. Stack that on top of the fundamentals are teed up for the strongest housing recovery we've seen really in many many years. Mm-hmm. And the it, it had the foundation for us to revise our forecast higher across the board. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we planned on saying back in March of 2020, paused it. Right. And, you know, obviously other things going on and fast forward to, I think it was towards the end of, of March, 2021. So a few weeks ago where we finally released it. And I think what we learned during that year where we were kind of tinkering with it was, holy mackerel, there's even more investors and more capital flooding into housing than we even thought a year ago. And I'm I'm sure during the the Q&A, we'll we'll talk about some of the investor categories too and why we called it 2.0 versus 1.0. 
Absolutely. Well, the first thing I want to highlight is I've been trying to communicate to, on my channel via just consistent repetition, repetition that I, I believe that the single family asset is going to be one of the best performing assets you know, for the next decade, certainly the next five years, but perhaps the next decade. And it is because um, the asset class is kind of being institutionalized, right? Yeah. And I, and we got the first taste of this with what I'll call investor mania 1.0, which is, okay, there's a crash. Warren Buffett has that favorite quote. I buy every house I could if I could find scale and all of yeah. those things. Then you have American homes and all these other for rent organizations spin up. And they're like, damn it, we can do this, right? That's, that was kind of the genesis, the right. model. But you fast forward and really what's happened for me and your, your report calls it out right in the first four or five pages. It's like, think about all the infrastructure that's been in, that's been added around this. You know, there's now a whole hard money engine for flippers. There's, you know, there's a whole build for rent idea. I mean, there's just all of these things coming around the single family home asset that is making it a play, as you call it, yield chasing. I call it deep pockets yep. because it's, you know, if, if you can, if you can get 4% cap in an apartment building, but you can get six and a half or seven in a single family home. Do you really care if it's a house or an apartment? I mean, it's, it's just the best, best place to play right now, I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm rewinding back to our conversation in December. We, we talked a lot about the optimism around single family okay. rental and we're, we're still just crazy bullish on, on single family rental and really this, this sustainability long-term of the asset class. I mean, mom and pop investors have figured this out exactly. um, forever. And, and now to your point, institutions are figuring out too. And I think, I think there was a big kind of pivot during COVID where you had a lot of investors. And I'm saying, when I say investor, I'm thinking more institutional mm -hmm. that They've they've got mandates to invest in U.S. in U.S. real estate, yep. and during COVID, leisure hospitality, nope, don't touch that. Uh, apartments for the most part, namely in gateway cities, nope, don't touch that. Retail, don't touch that. And so, Office, nope, don't touch. Yeah, that. yeah, exactly. And so and so we had all of these groups coming to us and saying, "Hey, you guys cover this space. Can you help us?" Uh, and so we've added just a ton of clients over the last year or so. Sure. And, and what's happened is you have these groups that have historically, they've historically invested in, in apartments. And that was kind of the way that institutions invested in, US, in U.S. real estate. Mm -hmm. And single family rental, the proof of concept, as you know, clearly established over the last decade. But I think what was interesting is that the bridge for a lot of these, a, a lot of these investors to getting them it, to be comfortable investing in single family rental was build for rent. So these are the, the purpose built, fully contained rental communities that in a way resemble apartments. It's, it's easier to get their arms around, mm -hmm. namely from just a, a cost standpoint. So it looks more like apartments. And I think a lot of investors were scared away from SFR because it's more scattered site. How are we going to manage 50 homes here, a thousand homes here. And so build for rent, I think bridged that gap for a lot of investors. Yeah, I think build for rent. I mean, I don't know what the numbers are. Maybe maybe you have them, but when I looked at kind of the single family market, right? Build for rent was right around one or 2%. What, what I could see happen very quickly, because I think it's proof of concept phase right now. It's now being proven, right? I believe you were the source for an article that talked about Texas. Uh, I forget exactly. I think it was 137 homes. 
if they sold it one off, they made 20%. They ended up packaging up as a build for rent, selling it occupied, and they made like 50%, right? It's just- Was, was this the DR Horton transaction? Yeah, exactly. The DR Horton transaction. Exactly. Yes. And it's like, well, let me think. They can control costs because they get away from variability. They build them faster because there's no options. And then they sell them for more. Huh. Should I do recipe. some more of that? You know, I'm like, what? what? Well, I, and, and what's, what's really, I think, fueling a lot of this too is that the, the, the capital is thinking about it from a much more longer term exactly. perspective. So they're, so home builders in the past have only had kind of one outlet. It's it's the consumer, um, and then you've got kind of rentals rental investors here and there. But now you've got this institutional pool. A lot of them looking at it from a purpose built for rent. We want the whole community. Yep. And oh, by the way, we're thinking about this in 10, 20, 30, 40 year increments, not a one, two, three year play. And exactly. so that just opens up conversations that I think the sector has never really had before. Um, yeah. Go ahead. I think. You're I, no, I was going to say, I, uh, you know, one of the outcomes of all of this is, again, I think the single family market is going through an evolutional change. It will be different in five years. And one of the differences is that a portion of the builder's capacity today will no longer go for consumers. They will still be building as many homes and probably more, but a percentage, we can argue if it's 10 or 20 or 30, whatever it's going to be, will only go I'll call it Wall Street or hedge funds, whatever you want, deep pockets, because they make more money, frankly. And and, and so that that's already being articulated with the public companies. Yeah. So you've got you've got the large publicly traded single family rental groups saying we buy ten to fifteen percent of our homes from home builders. Wow. Um, and, and so that, that is happening for sure across the country and it's, it's not going away. And a lot of it too, is that you've, you've got, you know, to your point, these deep pockets and, and they've raised billions and billions of dollars. Billions. And, <laughs> Just and, dry and now, powder sitting there. What are we going to do with it all? <laughs> exactly. I mean, we, we actually, we just put out a, a, a newsletter piece on our website. And these are just kind of free newsletters we do looking at the deal flow in, in single family rental and bill for rent over the last year and a half. And it's like 9 billion plus. And that's just the stuff that's been publicly put out there. Yeah. And that's not factoring in leverage and they're all leveraging oh, this. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So um, yeah, there's, there's a mountain of capital that's yeah. going to continue to grow in, in that business. Yeah. So before we get into this, I failed at the beginning. How can people follow you? Because again, you put out a lot of stuff. And again, I've, I've been following you on Twitter and John Burns as well. But let's, let's give that a real quick plug. We'll do it again at the end. How should people follow you? Yeah, so so if you want to if you want to follow, I and to, to your point, I try to put out some stuff on Twitter, which is, it's obviously free nuggets here and there. So mm -hmm. you can just follow me. I think my Twitter handle is in there. It's just at Rick Palacios Jr. Mm -hmm. uh, and then- our website, you can just go to our company's website, realestateconsulting.com. Mm -hmm. And obviously we've got paying clients, but there's, we put out free newsletters so you can just subscribe to those. And, and I've said it many, many times. I mean, I think some of our best stuff is out there. Like the infographic we put out today is amazing showing the deal flow in SFR and build for it. Yeah. It's, uh, again, I follow you every day. It's something I look at uh, in the evenings. 
because I get ready to talk about the daily financial news the next day. So I'm always checking to see what you're putting out going, what can I steal? <laughs> what can that's, I, what, what kind of information can I use? <laughs> that's the whole, that's the whole point. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let's get back to the single family market because again, I've been this whole one rental at a time. I'm telling, I'm telling folks get in now. So let's, so we already know a portion of the market's going to the big guys, the deep pockets, they're going to be 9 billion leverage. And oh, by the way, if, they ha- if they're telling us they got 9 billion, it means they got 18 billion because they're not telling us they got it all. Um, so that's going to be that market. That's going to be a lot of new construction, right? So if we, we flip the script to where I play, right? I still look for deals every day. Students follow every day. There's still a place for us to play and the infrastructure around us is growing. Why don't you just talk about the stuff that's grown up over the last couple of years, all these hard money vendors and, and ways to yeah. disposition and all that stuff. Yep, yep. So no, and I think this kind of brings it back to to, to the paper mm-hmm. and the groups that we analyze. And so kind of taking a step back. So Investor Mania 1.0 is what happened in 05, 06, 07, where the bulk of those investors were, I mean, they were individual retail buyers that were getting loans that they should have never gotten. The bank should have never underwritten those loans. And the acronym, you probably remember this, Michael, was the, the ninja loans where it's yes. no income, no jobs, no assets. Yep. And people were getting five, six homes. So that's Investor Mania 1.0. You know, knock on wood, we're not seeing that. Um, you know, I, I'm always, I'm always trying, I'm always on the hunt for stuff like that and asking people, are you seeing it? Because that's definitely a cautionary flag. So that's investor mania 1.0. Mm-hmm. And then the, the 2.0 to your point is much more of this kind of institutionally backed umbrella of groups. And mm-hmm. so the, the groups that we categorized in the paper. So when we say investors, this, these are the subcategories. So it's, it's flippers, which to your point have historically been hard money lenders. Now, a lot of those are institutional lenders and oh, by the way, the loans are being securitized to wall street. Um, so that's, yeah, that's some cheap money. Things. I can tell you investor 1.0 versus 2.0, the money's about half as much. It's pretty cheap money today. Exactly. Exactly. So you got flippers, you've got iBuyers all across the country. Now, a lot yeah. of those groups are starting to go public and those, and those groups, in order to make that business work, you've got to chase scale in the markets. Volume, you're in. So yeah. flippers, we got iBuyers. We talked about the single family rental landlords and all of those are now becoming institutionally backed build for rent groups. I would put in there too. And vacation, second home, foreign buyers. And then the last, the last category is probably the category that gives me the most concern Mm. because so, so there's this, there's this theme of uh, democratization of rental investing, actually democratization of investing across all asset classes. I mean, you, you think about Robinhood, right? Agreed. Um, so there's, there's now platforms in the single family rental space. That is what they are pitching. So it's, it's fractional ownership. You don't have to own the whole home. You can own fractions of it. There's, there's crowdfunding platforms. I mean, I feel like there's a new one popping up <laughs> every week here. And so that's where we start to scratch our head because, um, you know, yeah. the idea is that the, the people investing here, they should be accredited investors, but the reality is mm-hmm. the thresholds have been watered down over yeah. the past probably five or six years. And so that's where we start to get concerned because actually, I mean, a lot of these groups are moving the needle and investing 
billions of dollars across U.S. housing, namely in the rental market. So mm-hmm. those that's the 2.0 that, that we're thinking about from an investor standpoint. Yeah, I got to I got to tell you that that is everything else in investor 2.0 makes me feel like, OK, it's good lending. It's real lending. Uh, we don't have the liar loans or ninja loans. We also don't have destructive and just horrible arms going out today. Most people get 30 year fixed. Yes. You remember, know, remember negative, negative. Oh, neg ams. Oh, oh just, who, 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 un, who thought of that? And was like, this is a fantastic idea because home prices will never go down. Of course they never go down. Just refi. Oh yeah. 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 But I got to tell you that fractional ownership when I read about that. So a, I hadn't heard about it. Didn't cross my radar. So I'm glad you're in the know, right? This is your business and, and you're the best at it. But yeah, dude, that, that's a step too far. Uh, anytime you get into an investment where you think it's easy and you know you don't really have to have the reserves, and then, oh, by the way, you're one of 10 people that own some house in some city and the roof gets blown off and he's, they got the money and you don't. And oh, it's man, it's just yeah, that's yeah. nightmare. Yeah. And that, that's, that was kind of our, our, our thinking is like, okay, this sounds great sounds very altruistic mm-hmm. but um at the end of the day you know if you want to get out how do you get out like like yeah. like to your to your point um so that's that is a category and, and the way that i like you know whenever i talk to people especially people that are coming into the industry and some of the our newer team members i always i always advise them study study cycles yes um and, and not just and not just housing cycles study asset cycles internationally going back, you know, hundreds of years. And there's yeah. so many books out there that do this because mm-hmm. the, you know, there's a phrase that we use in the paper where it's history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Yeah. A couple of times. You can, you can look back over the course of two, 300 years and it's a different asset class, a different bubble, but the, the narratives that you start to hear, uh, you know, we said home prices never go down. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's one of them that's happened oh, yeah. in the past. Um, different ways of speculating in the asset class, and so that's where you you basically accelerate the liquidity in something that was historically illiquid, and mm-hmm. that's that's kind of happening in housing. Um, and then the thing that I always I always think about too is um, the marketability and what is being said in the media about mm-hmm. an asset class. And Absolutely. so like in the paper, we talked about how in you participated in the, in the last cycle, you've been through multiple cycles. So like think back to 04, 05, 06, and it was, you know, newspapers you had, you had CNBC, and then you had conversations that you had with your friends and, and colleagues and whatnot. And everybody was talking about housing. So now fast forward to today, you've got Twitter, which we mm-hmm. already talked about. You've got mm-hmm. the news outlets, obviously. You've got social media on steroids. You've on got TikTok. Steroids, yes. And it's and everything. YouTube channels, which you yeah. know we're on the YouTube channel right now. But um, you know, you kind of start to stack up all of those participants, and and a lot of them are talking about housing right now, which which gives us a little bit of concern too. And that's where we we talked about how, you know, housing's fantastic right now. We're super bullish over the next few years. Mm-hmm. But you know, our view is we're probably getting into these early bubble years, and you just need to have your antennas up and watch for things that could that could alter your thesis. And yeah. you know, 
rates is first and foremost. Oh, no question. Yeah. For me, again, it's in my book, right? I talk about affordability. I watch affordability in my market every month, right? It's kind of a monthly number. It's not necessarily daily, but yeah, when affordability in my market, my market in California is, you know, zero to a hundred, when it gets down to 20, you know, yellow, red flags, right? And it got down to as low as I think 16 or 17 in the last cycle. And, and just for scale, San Francisco is in eight, right? So there are markets that go much lower that don't make yep. sense. But I guess there's two more things I know I want to talk about. First and foremost, we talk about housing and, and, and we need to focus in a little more because housing is a big story, right? We need to realize that cash flow rentals, one rental at a time, affordability, all matters. So we are talking about the cheaper stuff, right? You talk about cash buyers dominating sub 100K, I think in the, in the article. And I just got to tell you folks, I mean, in most markets, you know, it's either a hundred if you're kind of in the Midwest or in your other areas, maybe it's 200, but that portion of the market, they're not building more housing stock for. So it's out there. And as you show in the, in your paper, that, that portion of the market is very competitive and appreciating the fastest. Yeah. I mean, good luck finding sub hundred K in yeah. California. You, no. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that exists and you probably wouldn't want to own it. You might have to tear it down. <laughs> yeah. Um, you cut the dirt. There's, yeah. There's, but there is, there is some of it, uh, out in more affordable markets, like, like the Midwest mm-hmm. to your point. Um, but the, but the rea- the reality is, I mean, if you look at where most of the larger groups are, are buying or building new properties to rent out, it's generally in that 200 to three, maybe 325. Yeah, exactly. Price point. Yeah. And that's, that's the meat of, of the housing market too. Like, right. Cause if you mm-hmm. think nationally, median home price is like 275 and change. I know it's going up right now because there's, yeah. there's noise in the monthly print, sure. but um that, I mean, that's, and that's a big part of why, I mean, we, we think you could be in a situation where housing, you know, I don't want to say is permanently less affordable, but right now, those groups that we talk about in the paper are, they are competing with the average buyer, with the mom and pop investor that's mm-hmm. trying to, you know, add another home to their portfolio. Yeah. And, you know, the, the months of supply statistics that, that we look at are, <laughs> across the country scary there's some markets where you're, you've got like 0.5 months of supply but that's yeah. overall now yeah. go down to the price tiers that we're talking about i mean it's basically nothing yeah we we no longer talk months or weeks we talk days it's just what ha- you have to talk it's crazy yeah it's it is it is nuts i i mean you know, i i was i went through the last cycle you know kind of the ups and downs mm-hmm. and the, the tone that we're hearing now, the extreme optimism, the mm. just no supply out there. You know, I think what we're, what we're hanging our hat on, and we were talking about this earlier, is that we're still not seeing crazy mortgage lending. But yeah. what, you know, you've been through a cycle or two, and what generally happens is, you know, the longer the, longer the cycle goes, the pool of buyers starts to shrink, starts to shrink, starts to shrink. And yeah. so what, what do lenders do? They start to expand that credit box yep. to continue to try to feed that machine. Mm-hmm. And so that that is the thing that I'm watching the, the closest here because if rates start to come up, are we gonna see arms come back into the picture? Are we gonna oh start God. to see these creative products that 
consumers who didn't live through it last time, mm -hmm. they see it. And, oh, this is a fantastic idea. This sounds great. I lower my payment. And you're like, wait, no, <laughs> here's what could happen. Right. Let me tell you a story. <laughs> it doesn't end well. <laughs> yeah. It's a nightmare. Yeah. Well, the other thing I wanted to talk about today is, is a lot of housing today is we've talked about the demand side. We have to talk about the supply side because what I, what I call it today is we have the perfect storm of limited supply. So this is what I'm thinking. And again, you're in the business as much as I am. And I only look at one market, you look at the nation. So first and foremost, you know, we go back to you know, March, April of last year, right? We basically tell existing homeowners, stay home. Don't let anybody come touch your stuff. And oh, by the way, don't go touch other people's stuff, right? That's basically what we told them. Yeah. So first thing, if you were thinking about selling that spring season, because we were right on the cusp of the spring selling season, you're like, nope, I might list in the summer. Let's see where this thing goes. And then, oh, by the way, bad stuff happens. You know, the job market gets squirrely. People are like, not sure if I'm going to have a job or my husband or my wife. We're, we're you know. We're not doing anything. We're awesome. oh, yeah. yeah. We'll paint the bedroom, right? We'll go to Lowe's and Home Depot and you know, home improvement aisle city. So that happened, right? Next, builders, right? Builders were doing, you know, you know, they were doing their thing. Again, this happens. Stop. Nobody can come see your stuff. They start listing on the MLS. People start canceling contracts. Oh, by the way, fast forward. Now you have inflation and everything from lumber to appliances and windows and you know. So they basically are now they're canceling contracts because of you know prices. So yep. again, new construction as low as possible. Um, also, let's not forget the life events happens. And you know, every year we have foreclosures, except this year, right? Because everybody gets yeah. a foreclosure moratorium. And even if you get divorced or you lose your yeah. job and you got to live somewhere else, why foreclose? Nobody's going to for. So we we basically have the perfect storm for no inventory, right? My thinking is that starts to reverse June-ish, right? And CDC thing gets out of the way. The summer, we're, more and more people are vaccinated. Like I can start touching other people's stuff. I got all this equity in my house. It's too old. It's too small. I want to go somewhere else. So I could see a lot of inventory coming this summer. Am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy. What I, I don't know if I would say a lot. Um, well, let's, I think put, let's give you this, let's give more. you a number. Cause you look at it, right? We have roughly speaking a million homes available today. Yep. Roughly, and then right? I think, so if memory serves me, like I'm, I'm thinking about all the loans that are in forbearance right now, 3.2. Right. So like, I think we ran this the other day, gosh, now it's pissing me off. I can't remember it. Um, but if you like, you just stack that immediately on top of it, I mm -hmm. think we would get back to a number that was still below what we saw during kind of the run-up in supply the, the last cycle, mm -hmm. we would. that's not going to happen. It's not going to be an immediate spike. And then like to your point too, the, the, the equity position for most of these homeowners is like a 180 of what we saw during yeah. the subprime crisis. And they've all got chunks of cash in that house given we've had, I mean, let's, let's just rattle off some markets. Like if you live in Phoenix, home prices have gone up 20% plus year over year. If you live in Boise, they're up 31% year over year. Like you go around the country yeah. and most of these markets have had double digit home price appreciation year after year. I mean, the mm -hmm. last year has just been nuts and, and just yeah. insane. But if they want to sell their home, 
they should have, it's not going to be a distressed sale. So, um, yeah. And, and, and like, as you were just going through all of those, Hey, there's this, Hey, there's this, Oh, by the way, we're not going to allow foreclosures. And there's still some uncertainty if that's going to even be allowed in July, they may push that out to December. Well, I think the Um, foreclosures are extended to December. The CDC thing is evictions for land. Okay. Right. So So, again, no, no foreclosure. This is going to be, Oh, this is so crazy. Last time the term was um, strategic default. Remember that? Yeah. This term is going to be avoidable foreclosures. There are going to be zero. They're going to put 40 year mortgages. People are, I'm convinced people are going to be locked into their houses forever. It'll be like rent control. You're going to have people can't afford to move because they have all the, you know, the back end second stick in there and, oh, it's, the, oh, it's going to be bad. But, but wait, three, but, but the 3.2 is not going to come on market this year. It'll be next year. No. And I mean, we, and we just walked through all these groups that have raised billions of dollars <laughs> to grow their portfolio. So they're, they're in a lot of ways, you know. Yeah. They're their governor. Hoping, they're, 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 they're hoping for a 5% discount. Exactly. Yeah. But what, but as you were going through and just kind of like checking off all these boxes of this is different, this is different, this is different, no foreclosures. That's like, that's exactly what we were doing. And I, and I had this conversation so many times with people last year because they said, well, gosh, you're so optimistic on home prices. And we still are for, for this year. I think this year we're forecasting 12% on 12 and then six, according to the article and, and new home prices, this is net of incentives. There's basically no incentives for home builders right now. 15%. We just revised that up this month. And so like we were, when I was having these conversations, I said, well, look, when, when the system changes and there's new rules you have to change your model and the way you think about it. And I think we actually, you and I talked about this back in December where there were other groups out there forecasting price declines. We did. And, and we, we laughed. were talking about we're like what? Well, cause, cause their model yeah. relied so heavily on the unemployment rate. So and sad. if, yeah, okay. If that's what your model says, and it's going to spit out a really negative number because historically when you get a recession and employment spikes, housing doesn't do great. But this is a totally different backdrop, which is what you just said. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I want to put this out there. I want to get it recorded. So, so we have, let's just call it a million available homes today. I'm going to say we could be up to 2 million homes by August 1st. Now put that in context on the surface, that's a hundred percent gain. Kind of cool, but still 60% of where we need to be for a balanced market. So yeah, it, and on the home, I mean, because we're we're super close to the home building space. I mean, that's really our our bread and butter. Although single family rental has been huge for us lately, um, home builders just kind of shut off the machine a year yeah. ago. Yeah, because that's that's what a smart home builder would do. If you thought the sky was falling, mm-hmm. you got you you have to basically say, okay, we need we need to figure this out right now. Yeah, and they shut off land buying for a while, and then they realized, just as most people in the industry by probably middle to end of April last year, okay, this is actually going to be better than what we thought. Then they got to May and it was, holy crap. (laughs) This could be the strongest housing market we've ever seen. Exactly. And we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so when, you know, when you're a home builder, you don't, you don't buy land and build and sell homes on it the next day. I mean, this is, this is a six month to now, upwards of a year process mm-hmm. to, to build those homes. Um, and this is on like a finished lot. Like I've got the lot. All right, let's build the home. I mean, if you're trying to entitle land in California, good luck. I mean, that's a multi multi-year process. So that's where 
I think we're, we're on the same page in that our home price forecasts are the strongest this year. Yes. I mean, we've got, unless something radically changes there on the economic front, on the interest rate front, we've got very high conviction that we're going to see probably the strongest home price appreciation we've seen since probably 05, I think it is. Yeah, 05 uh, was the best, yeah. And, but then we get to next year, and I do, I do agree with you. You're going to see more resale inventory come onto the market and because people are going to start looking around and saying, oh my gosh, Zillow told me this, this guy just sold his house for exactly. how much? Okay. Consumers are the same. They're like, holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so that will happen. Consumers, yeah. cons- consumers will do that over time. And then home builders are just buying land hand over fist. They've been doing that probably the last nine mm. plus months. Interesting. And their, their footprints, their community counts, and we track this stuff too, they're growing, but it's not going to start to really pop up materially until we think maybe the end of this year and then going sense. into 2022. So you, you think about new home supply, you think about resale supply, gradually rising by 2022 and you know that's econ 101 is okay if there's more supply than we had a year ago you're probably not going to get the crazy home price appreciation you had but we're still forecasting growth we've actually got home price appreciation growth in our forecast all the way out through 2024 right now yeah i'd agree with that yeah 20 yeah yeah my crystal ball breaks at 2025 so i don't go out farther than that (laughs) but yeah that's uh that's a far away. Yeah, That's a long I, way. I hate having to go out that far, but we've got a lot of people that want to have a, a view on it. So we try. Yeah. But if we go back to mom and pop investors, what I want them to hear in this conversation, investor mania 2.0 is actually good for them. In my opinion, there's a lot more infrastructure. There's a lot more ways to dispose of, get rid of, or add, but you do have to do some work. Um, you have to know really for me, it's like, okay, where are the, where are the deep pockets playing? Cause I'm not going to play there. They can out, they can outpay me every day, right? They have yep. the cheapest money, permanent financing, longest time horizon. Okay. They want all the three bedroom, two bath, four bedroom, two bath, you know, three-year-old homes. Great. I'm not looking at those, for example. So I need to look in other places uh, and cash flow is still available. You just have to work hard for it. And I think what I was going with inventory is I think inventory is going to come. I think quality difference is going to finally mean something. What has it meant anything when you have only a million homes is quality doesn't mean squat. Trashed house, perfect house, everything gets retail pricing. Yeah, but if you double bad. inventory, you still have the top-notch, prettiest, best location going quick, but you're going to see inventory differences, which finally means I can buy more than six houses in a year. I can, I can do you know 10 or 12. But mom and pop investors, I think you need I, get in. If the rich are coming and they're clearly coming, but they're not here yet, Get in because you can get the wind at your backs as they raise prices. Um, you know, I, some is good, more is better, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, if if you can if you can get in mm. and have your your risk gauges dialed in very close, yeah. um, you know, and the way we we've got a ton of different risk metrics that we look at, and there there are some markets where affordability looks horrible. Yeah, like, uh, do you so- know one off the top of your head? Well, I mean, if you look, if you look in Texas and yeah. so that we look at it, we look at it from a, that market unique to itself, mm-hmm. what do historical uh, affordability metrics look like? 
Yeah. Um, it's gotta be different. And so like, if you've lived, if you've lived and breathed in Texas your whole life, those affordability metrics look close to the worst that we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, one of our, one of the, the kind of views that we have is that because of work from home, because exactly. of people moving around the country right now, you're going to see affordability metrics get out of whack more than what I think you would, you would think is kind of rational because, mm-hmm. you know, people are viewing their home differently. And I, and I do think that's going to be a structural change for Agreed. housing where, Agreed. you know, my employer now is telling me, and this is going to be permanent, you know, come in maybe twice a week. Okay. I can go buy a house further out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pay more for it because I value this house differently. Now I'm here more, I'm working more. And then you've got people, I mean, if you leave California and you go to Texas, Texas actually looks affordable. If you leave California and you go to Boise, Boise is Boise is crazy affordable. Um, and so, so those are the unique things that are going on right now, because everybody, if you're coming from a different market, your affordability anchor mentally mm-hmm. is different from domestic person that's lived in that market their whole life. Yeah. I think what you're going to see and what I'm calling that is destination bias, right? You're going to like, Texas would not have shocked me. It would have been my guess. It was either going to be Texas or Vegas. You were going to tell me because it's just different this time, right? People, I mean, Austin, for example, is the market I think that's just most over the top unaffordable, but it's because you have Elon Musk saying, come here and you have all these other tech execs going there going, we're gonna make the next Silicon Valley, right? So you get all this imported home equity from California, the six figure jobs, no state income tax, you're like, damn, this is cheap. But the people who live there are like, where the hell are these California plates from? Yeah. And I would recommend if you do go, if you leave California, you can go out to Texas, you go out to Boise, change your plates as soon as you can. Please. Yeah. Because I've been talking to some, some clients in Austin, in Boise, and uh, they, they have said that they're, the locals are not huge fans of (laughs) Californians uh, right now, but you know, we're talking about these markets. I, I had a post actually, it was yesterday on, on Twitter that I put out because we, we do a mid-month channel check just of home builders across the country. I saw that, yeah. And I kind of just went through, because I was reading <laughs> That was it, awesome. And I was like, holy crap, the color in here is just so one-sided, crazy positive. And I mean, builders are having a tough time adding supply and the, and the cost issues, but they are pushing price and consumers aren't really pushing back. And so Austin was one of those, just the color was insane. Boise, I think it was insane. Vegas, Phoenix. Um, and so that, that is, that is kind of the tone right now in, in housing. Yeah. The one, one market, I don't know if you have an opinion on that just always feels unnatural to me is Vegas, right? You think about Vegas, I think service industries, right? It's, it's casinos and all, yep. all around it, right? Some manufacturing, light manufacturing, but not, not, it's basically a service economy. And, you know, they have, I don't know if they still have, but the last unemployment number I saw was over 20%. But yet they have record housing prices. I talked to a broker there once a month and he's like, no inventory. You know, if you're above a million bucks, you're a California buyer. You're below a million bucks, you're a local buyer. And, you know, just no inventory. And I'm like, this makes no sense to me. But do you have any thoughts? So Vegas, I'm I'm looking down at the paper because I know Vegas popped up. Um, Nobody can see this, but I'll... So Vegas investor transactions, and this is as of the fourth quarter last year, we, we're just getting first quarter data and we got to go through and audit it. Um, 
investors accounted for 24% of transactions, oh. new and resale in 24. Las Vegas. So, so that's definitely, and that's where our view is that investors are definitely accelerating this recovery. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you though, also, you know, some of the color that we've picked up over the last year in talking to some of our, you know, some of our single family rental clients, some of our home builder clients, there's a big influx of people that are working remote and their employer is somewhere else besides mm-hmm. Vegas. Yep. But they're, they've gone and bought a home and are living in Vegas. It may be a second home, maybe a vacation home. So, but, and then they're working remote into other parts of the country. So that's, sure. that's definitely happening. And I mean, I think there was an article in the journal a couple of weeks ago on Vegas and how, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not sin city uh, mm-hmm. that it has been in the past. Um, and, you know, there's, there's great communities. There, there's mm-hmm. home builders that are adding new supply in that market. Yeah. And there's a lot of families that are moving out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I talked to a, a builder or a, a broker there that was there through the last crisis. And, and we talked a year ago and we're like, Michael, if we're going to see a repeat of the last crisis, what will start is lot premiums, right? Lot premiums would have been the canary in the coal mine. So we're like, yes. like for six months, I'm like, okay, our lot premiums down, our lot premiums down. I was like, nope, they're going up. I'm like, damn, where, where are all people doing in Vegas, man? It's crazy. Well, what also, what's the lot premium in Vegas? Like, what are you, I, yeah. I'm trying to figure out like, what are you looking at that, <laughs> that justifies that, you know, that, that, that crazy lot premium, but that is so lot premiums are one you're you're totally spot on lot premiums are one of the things that when you've got your kind of you know bubble radar on it's that is the low-hanging fruit for profit margin for builders it's oh yeah there's a view here i mean it's a subjective opinion obviously um and they charge for it and when the market's crazy hot i mean that is a low-hanging fruit to just juice your returns as a as a home seller yeah yeah, that's again. That's something I kept asking about. Just expecting it to go away, and it never did. And and you know, it's just no. Crazy. So if we're gonna wrap this up, and again, one rental at a time, mom and pop, you know, buying houses is rentals. I think it's the best asset. You have all this money coming in. They're gonna be focused on a portion of the market. Uh, it's gonna be hard, right? It's a competitive market. Uh, I do think more inventory is coming, so at least you'll have more choices. Uh, I think prices go up. I think rents go up. I think that's another thing that comes out of this is my experience. Prices go up first, rents go up second. Um, Cause as affordability drops, more people rent space is good in this crisis. You don't want to live close together. So I think the single family home as a landlord is going to be a, a great asset to own for the next five to 10 years. Any closing thoughts? And then again, uh, where do you want people to follow you? Yeah, no. I, so the, the other thing, as you were just saying that I was thinking about is we hear this phrase thrown out, recently this kind of everything bubble yeah. and you've got crypto going insane and nft I and mean, all of these things that you know f- totally new this cycle mm-hmm. and so you take a step back and you go okay where where can i put my money where i understand the asset it's tangible it's usually an inflation hedge mm-hmm. like historically that's that's what housing is and oh by the way i can live in it or I can rent it out and I can raise the rent if we do get an inflationary environment. That's where I think a lot of people are looking at their options right now. And in an everything bubble, having rental properties, and if you can ride out that down cycle, not the worst place to be if, if you're just thinking about, okay, what, what actually makes sense 
if all of this kind of crypto craziness starts to go south. <laughs> yeah. And I wouldn't doubt that there's people that are hedging their bets and selling some crypto and pushing that into housing. It wouldn't shock me. The last thing I'll talk about in residential space, folks, is go get that 30-year money. Please don't get in on oh, yeah. Don't get any of that stupid stuff. If they want to give you a, you know, something with a three on it, that's basically free money. So yeah. lock it in into, again, rents will go up in the future. You will be a very, very happy person, but don't buy any alligators, no negative cash flow. do the work, find a good deal. Uh, and again, uh, investor mania 2.0 is going to help you get wealthy. In my opinion, Rick, where can people follow you? Yeah, you, you, you can follow me on Twitter. It's just my name at Rick Palacios jr. And then, you know, like I mentioned earlier, you can go to our website, realestateconsulting.com. We've got great free newsletters there. And if, if anybody has questions, you can always message me, DM me. And I, I usually try, I'm kind of like you, Michael, where it's, it's a night thing yeah. where you just go in, you're like, okay, let me, let me help. Let me answer some of these. <laughs> um, so yeah, al always happy to help there. And he is folks. He answers my questions all the time. So thank you very much, Rick. I appreciate you. I'll look forward to next time. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. Got it. See ya.